podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, welcome to Two Footed Podcast. Today is Tuesday, the 7th of September. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe from those miscreants and ne'er-do-wells who lurk around the interwebs. Check out LibertyShield.com. Use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do remember to check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Just download the Etsy app to your phone. Search EPL Index or Anfield Index, and you'll find lots of merch that might be to your desires. Right, folks, I am joined by Mr. Kevin DeVries from the EPL Roundtable. How are we? Yeah, doing very well. We obviously enjoyed recording uh, part one, which you can find at EPL Roundtable. Got pushed by EPL Index as well, but delighted to be back here talking about uh, part two. You got all the big clubs this time. Lucky. Uh, but uh, yeah, excited to talk about this uh, recent transfer window. The disrespect he's just showed to Arsenal and Chelsea is staggering. <laughs> and, and all not the surprising, fans perhaps. Are gonna... No, not surprising at all, given their, uh, their locations, but Everton fans will be very upset as well. But yes, uh, as Kevin said, we have done Arsenal through Leicester in our summer transfer window review. You can find that podcast on the EPL Roundtable. It'll be pushed through Anfield Index, but it's the EPL Roundtable feed on all of your podcast providers that you will need to look for. And this obviously is part two, where we will run from Liverpool through to Wolverhampton Wanderers. So I suppose the best thing to do, Kev, is just to get into it. And I'll start with Liverpool. Uh, one signing, Ibrahima Kanate from RB Leipzig. Really good signing. Very, very happy with him. I think he's got huge potential. I think they got him at a good price. But Ginny Wijnaldum gone. No replacement. Jordan Shakiri gone. No replacement. Now, I understand Harvey Elliott is probably the replacement for him. And I'm fine with that. But last season, without question, Liverpool were one short up front because Firmino has declined. Mane showed massive regression last season. And even with the arrival of Jota, he was merely the the needed fourth attacker that they had from the previous season. He replaced Origi, basically. This season, they're going in, again, very light up front. Four players, because Origi and Minamino can be written off two of whom are in dreadful form. It leaves you very reliant on Mo Salah. In midfield, you haven't replaced Wijnaldum. You've got Fabinho and a group of injury-prone players. Oxlade-Chamberlain and Naby Keita, who the manager doesn't seem to trust anyway. Jordan Henderson, 31, declining, injury-prone. 
and Thiago, 30 injury prone. You're relying heavily on a defence to carry you now, which includes Virgil van Dijk coming back with a surgically repaired knee. Yes, you've got Andy Robertson. Yes, you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold, but you've got no real cover for Trent. That's of a concern. And the backup goalkeeper situation isn't ideal. This is the third summer in a row where they haven't done enough. And the second of three where they've done the bare minimum. This summer, they bring in Kanate, the signing they needed last summer when Lovren left as the fourth centre-back. But haven't addressed midfield, haven't addressed the attack. New contracts galore. Um, Fabinho and Virgil were the only ones of the ones done that needed doing. Uh, you can make the argument for Harvey Elliott as well, of course. But the Trent had three or four years left on his deal. Um, Allison had three years left. Robertson had three years left. Henderson is 31 and injury prone and he wasn't going anywhere. So those are questionable decisions to make when you needed to add players. Um, giving Nat Phillips a new contract after you spent the summer trying actively to sell him at a price way over what he's worth is an Arsenal-esque move. I would say, all things considered, it's a C-minus for me, and it would be worse, but I do really like Kanate. But this is the bare minimum. It's not enough. And unfortunately for Liverpool, they've stood still over three years now. They're not as good as they were in 2019 because of the declines of Henderson, Mane, and Firmino. The only player in the starting eleven who's improved in that time is Trent Alexander-Arnold. But you've got Van Dijk with a surgically repaired knee. You've got Thiago in for um, Ginny Wijnaldum. It's the only change. Liverpool starting eleven now compared to the 2019 final against Spurs. Thiago for Wijnaldum's the only change. Everybody else is the same. Thiago's a better footballer than Ginny, but he's not a better fit in that system and not a better fit in that position. So that's worrying as well. Liverpool have stood still. They've let their rivals go past them, in my view. It's a C-minus for me. I have been much less kind to you, although I do agree. I, I think Kanate is a really good signing. I just, there's talk of, you know, concern about Sadio Mane and whether he's just in a really long patch of bad form or if he's maybe just starting to regress a little earlier than we expected. Firmino hasn't been a source of goals for a while now. It's it's starting to get a little dicey. I Van Dyke has looked good since he came back. That's obviously super encouraging. Alexander Arnold seems to, you know, maybe not be at his best yet, but way better than he was for most of last year. Um, I think, you know, obviously it's it's not great that uh, Robertson got that that uh, ankle injury right before the season started, but it wasn't a high ankle sprain. It didn't keep him out long. But now you know you can rely on Samakis when you need him. Um, so all of that's all of that's positive. But I just think you've left yourselves really short, and I agree with your assessment that I think everyone else has caught up. I think you're fourth of the top four. I said in the first one, there's a very clear top four, um, but I think you're in there, but I think you're at, at the back end of it just because you haven't helped yourself in some time. And I mentioned this on the last episode of the EPL Roundtable of just it feels to me like the Poch era, like you're mm. so close. All you need is one, maybe two players to cement your status of, of being title contenders, if not title favorites. And for some reason just didn't happen. I don't know if it's FSG issues or, or what it's been over the last few windows, but it just feels like you had the opportunity to cement yourself at the top of the table rather than being a team fighting to get there. And it seems like you've kind of let that opportunity slip. 
in 2019 when we won the Champions League, we were the best team in the world. We were we were better than City. They might have pipped us to the league, but we were better than City that year. And we lost one game in the league that season. We had a real opportunity to put our foot down and hammer home the advantage. We were the, the club out there that players wanted to, jo- to join, and we did nothing that summer. We brought in Harvey Elliott, um, Sepp Vandenberg, two kids who you know were nowhere near ready to play, and Adrian, who's not a very good goalkeeper, but he was okay as a backup. It wasn't enough. We should have been looking to upgrade in the midfield in that summer, and we didn't. Last summer, we needed to replace Firmino, and we didn't. We brought in Jota to supplement the attack, but not to replace Firmino. We again needed to upgrade the midfield, but this time in two areas, because we knew that Wijnaldum was going to leave. We did it in one area, but not in the other. And again, this summer now, Wijnaldum is gone. We needed to replace him. We had Saul if we wanted him, and it was all it could have been done so easily. And we've allowed him to go to a rival. Like, and the thing is, you get Liverpool fans, and what they'll say to you is, it's very hard to find a fifth forward. Liverpool don't need a fifth forward. They need to make Firmino the fifth forward and go and find a starter. And those are plentiful out there that you could sign that would be an improvement on what Firmino is now. Uh, you could improve on what Mane is now as well. They ideally should have been looking to sell Mane this summer, but he had such a bad season that they're probably not going to be able to now. Uh, like, sell him at any point now, because he'll have one year left in his contract, and they'll probably just extend his contract. Um, you, you get Liverpool fans that say, oh, you want to spend £200 million? Go and support City. Like, that's nonsense. Nobody's asking for £200 million. Saul was on, available on loan. Chelsea paid £4 million for him on a season-long loan with an option to buy for £30 million. You could have done that. You could have brought in Odson Edward. You mentioned him earlier. Pats and Dacca. They're yeah. not ideal, but you bring them in, you develop them, you give them some time in your system. You know, you could have brought in Michael Elise as a fifth attacker and developed him, can also play in midfield. There was so many players out there this summer that were available. I think Harvey Barnes was available. For a long portion of the summer, but Liverpool didn't do anything. I think they could have got Dwight McNeil, didn't do anything. Um, so it's just, it's a failure. It's a failed summer. What, what did you give them as a grade? Liverpool? Yeah. A D. A D. I think that's fair. I've gone a C minus just because I am very high on Kanate, but it is a bad, bad summer. And while Liverpool have had a bad summer, uh, let's up. Let's look up the road a little bit to Manchester and hmm. a club that tried to make you have a very bad summer, Mister Vries. <laughs> uh, yeah. What do you think of Manchester City this year? <laughs> this is maybe funnier than you getting Everton. Uh, short term, uh, you getting Everton every year is pretty funny. But um, why was Harry Kane their only striker target? The the price was known in June before the Euros. And they needed a striker to continue on as title favorites. And then they signed Grealish. Didn't sell Bernardo, Mares, or Sterling. And then, because of it, didn't have the money to sign Kane. Now, the the word on the street is that City expected that we would drop our price the closer that we got to the end of the window. Mm. 
But that's not how that works for multiple reasons. Namely, we'd have to replace Harry Kane. Uh, Secondly, have they heard of Daniel Levy before? Um, I don't know if there's a third. Those are a pretty strong one too, though. I love how how much Daniel Levy has upset Pep Guardiola. It's It's my favorite part of the summer. Yeah. Well, Pep just shouldn't have been as publicly vocal as he was, start to finish. But it's it's crazy. I I like Grealish. We talked before in the first half. You think he's probably worth like 50? I'm fine with like 70-ish. 100 million seems intense. Um, but the gap between him and Bernardo in particular, because he's the one that it seemed like they most wanted to ship, is negligible for me. The gap between Kane and Gabriel Jesus is mm. massive. I almost said cavernous. I don't really think that applies there. It's it's absurd, the gulf in ability between Harry Kane and Gabriel Jesus. So mm. why would you add a third or fourth wide player? Because I don't think they should play him in central midfield. They might. We'll see. I think they kind of had him and Sterling kind of rotating in and out of those positions when they played us in that first week. But why would you prioritize that over Kane? And I know I, I talked to uh, Richard on Twitter. We we all love Richard Burns, at Richard the Burns. Um, and he was like, he doesn't think that that's how that really happened, that, that Grealish wasn't prioritized in terms of the money. It's just they could get that one sorted first because there was an actual buyout clause. Which Yeah, I, I think he's right. Yeah. I, I look at it and I think Kane walks in day one unquestionably the best striker in the building. Mm-hmm. First choice striker, no questions asked, in the team, job done. Jack Grealish, for me, does not get in City's best 11. He's not as good as a number eight as De Bruyne or Gundogan. And he's not as good a left winger as Raheem Sterling. And I don't know if he's better than Foden. And if he is, he might not be in a year. And I don't think, I personally, I would much rather have Bernardo Silva than Jack Grealish. Personally. I just think he offers more to the team on and off the ball. Grealish only offers it on ball. He was awful against your lot. Awful. Mm. And he hasn't been particularly good in the two games since. He got himself a couple of assists. But well, it's not like he's five playing well. wins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you're, pl- you're playing against teams at the bottom of the league that haven't won a game yet. You know, relegation contenders in Norwich and Arsenal. <laughs> it's like a flat track bully player. That's what he that's what he is. They can't play in a midfield three. Villa tried to use him there and it was a disaster. I don't think City can use him there. They've already got better options. I don't know why they did it this way. I like they knew. I think what happened was so Pep has come out with a couple of pictures of lies about how when you sell players for 60 million, you can buy for 100 million. Except that Pep, you didn't sell players for 60 million. You sold Jack Harrison, Lucas Nemechia, Ivan Illich. And that's actually it. And that's a yeah. sum total, my friend, of 30 million, which, by the way, you spent on Keikai, Aguilar and Sarmiento more and Matinho, the other Brazilian. So they already spent that money. That 100 million was just the owners pumping it in. Mm-hmm. They could have 100 million. Now, I know Levy was pushing for this and that and the other thing. I honestly think if if Levy had put 100 million in sterling on the table, or a hundred million in Bernardo, or a hundred million in Laporte. I think Spurs probably would have taken it if push came to shove. 
But what I want to see now is I want to see Spurs report City for tapping up Harry Kane. Mm. Because there are multiple reports out there, well-sourced reports from Sam Lee and others that Spurs or that sorry that Kane and City agreed terms in May before the season was even over. And mm-hmm. he gave that interview to Harry Kane before to to Gary Neville rather before the season was over. And Harry yep. Kane has been a model professional, but Harry Kane went on strike this summer. And he can spin it all he wants and say it was a communication error. You knew when you were due back, son, and you came back purposely a week late and then cost yourself a week of training. That's not a mistake. You've gone on strike there. So in my view, I want that's what I want to see. Just for the banter of it, I want to see Spurs report City now. But I think City, I don't think they necessarily needed Kane. In that, they did I don't to think win they the title. They, they didn't have them last season. They, didn't, they won the title easily. Chelsea weren't that good last year. <laughs> yeah, but they won it two years before that, and Aguero was a shell of himself. Mm. If De Bruyne is great and Sterling's on top form and Gundogan plays like he did last year and they get another year of Foden developing and Mares continues to contribute and Bernardo contributes and Jesus contributes even 15 goals, I think they have enough. They didn't necessarily need Kane. Now, you would absolutely want him. He represents a clear upgrade. So I don't knock them back massively, but I do knock them for spending $100 million on Jack Grealish. Mm. I, I yeah. just think that's foolish. And and lying about having sold for $60 million and trying somehow... this And the logic of it is, oh, but we sold Leroy Sané last summer. Well... I'm terribly sorry to break it to you, but last summer, Diaz last summer, yes, you sold players for 96 million, including Leroy Sané, and bought players for 143 million. So you spent 45 million last summer. You didn't make any profit. And again, this summer you haven't made any profit. You've got a net spend in the region of 100 million. So I don't want to hear from City fans that they've had some great summer. For me, it's a C. I and the thing is. The pressure on Jack Grealish now is off the charts. He is now the most expensive player in Premier League history because the Kane deal didn't go through and the Lukaku one came in slightly below. Mm-hmm. If he is not a top five player in the league this coming season... And he won't be. And he won't be. For me, yeah. he goes down as, as not a failure or a flop because it's too early after one season, but a disappointment because that's the that's the parameter... That was set on Paul Pogba. And if mm-hmm. Pogba was going to be judged based on his price tag, then Grealish needs to be as well. But you know, he won't be for a very big reason that we probably shouldn't discuss on this show. No, I'll say it because he's white and he's English and because there's media bias against players who are not white and English. You yeah. don't have to say it. I'll say it. But <laughs> yeah, that is the case. It is the case. Yeah. So it's a C for me. What about you? Yeah, I gave it a D. Just the the level of they just assumed they were gonna get Kane. You mentioned yeah. Stanley earlier. Yeah, Terrific journalist caught way too much flack this window, um, just for reporting what he was hearing. But they had all of the marketing stuff done. They had yeah. the presentation prepared. You know the yeah. one thing they forgot to do 
ever bid anywhere near enough money to get him. It is yeah. crazy to me. Their highest ever actual bid, not ones that you might hear from random Italians that know more about English football than English media, um, was $75 million up front with up to $25 million in add-ons. Yeah, and apparently those add-ons included Kane winning the Ballon d'Or and mm, winning the like league, that. winning the Champions League, which they've still yet to do. Yeah, it's it is unreal to me their level of confidence for no reason. So you mentioned Pep Guardiola and some of the fibs he was telling. My favorite one was we did everything we could. When? What? No, did what you they try did offering the money we to told Kane. you? They pushed it on to Kane and tried to get him to force the issue and thought that eventually Spurs would just give in because they tried to bully you. <laughs> but the thing that gets me is we, we heard, we've heard the excuses. Oh, the reason they didn't go to 150 million is they couldn't find buyers for Raheem, Bernardo and, and Laporte. Who did they think was going to buy these players? Like, People in Europe, who we talked about in the last show, had no money. Had no money. And not not to disparage Spurs, but I don't think any of those players were overly keen to go to Spurs as part of a deal. Now, maybe you could have talked them round, but I don't think they would have been. They wouldn't have sold them to Liverpool. They wouldn't have sold them to United. And they wouldn't have sold them to Chelsea because they wouldn't strengthen a rival like that. And none of them were going to go to Arsenal. So where were these players going to go? Where was the mythical 60 million they were going to get for Americ Laporte or the 70 million they thought they'd get for Raheem Sterling? And by the way, Raheem Sterling's your second best player. And he now knows that all summer long, you've been trying to sell him. Yep. So For his international teammate. Yes. Who, again, by the way, he outperformed at the European Championships. Mm. Now, Kane is a better player. But Sterling's great. Like, Sterling is great. He's the second best English player after Harry Kane. And you've now most likely made a situation where either you're going on on hand and knee to beg him to sign a new deal or... And he'll get way more money out of you on it. Yeah. Yeah. So not good from City. Not a good look from City at all. Um, A D from me. Thank you for letting me rant about Harry Kane. No, but as as I said to you, what I want to see now, and we'll get to it when we get to your club, is I want to see Spurs lodging a formal complaint for tapping him up and use all the articles from their little minions in the press, like Sam Lee and people like that. Now, nothing against Sam. He's a good good journalist, but he's been fed that information to, to shift a narrative that Kane is desperate for the move. Spurs are basically keeping him hostage. We've already agreed terms since May. He clearly wants the move. Well, use that and go and file a complaint that they tapped him up. Um, and then whatever money we get, we'll just put it into Kane's next contract. Exactly. Right, on to their cross-city rivals, Manchester United. Uh, Tom Heaton on a free and Paul McShane. I think they're the two big deals they did. Yeah, did they do anything um, they, saw, else? they signed a couple of squad players. Mm. <laughs> no, they, they went big this <laughs> summer. Uh, Jaden Sancho, 73 million plus add-ons. Um, Rafael Varane, 42 plus some add-ons. And Cristiano Ronaldo returning, 18 million plus add-ons. Now, going into the summer, the clear needs for them were a centre-back with pace to go next to Maguire. 
and a ball-winning, shielding central midfielder, who like a defensive midfielder, who could provide a platform for the attacking talent that they had. They addressed one in Varane. Now, he's very good. He's no longer the great centre-back he was three years ago. He's changed his game. He's lost a little bit of his pace, and he's adapted things to kind of make up for some of the injuries he had. But he is still a very good player, and it's a good price for him. So, like that one. Sancho, they didn't need. He is... As, as Lubo, my friend Lubo likes to say, he is avocado toast. You don't need it, but, you know, sometimes you <laughs> might want to spoil yourself. That's what he is. They didn't need him. You had Ahmed Diallo and Mason Greenwood, who can play on the right. You had Marcus Rashford and Paul Pogba for the left. And Pogba can't play anywhere else in your team. We saw that at the weekend. You tried to play him in double pivot. So you needed to bring in that holding midfielder. And that centre-back. Because up front, you had Cavani, Martial and Greenwood. And Rashford can play there as well. So you had loads of options. But I can understand bringing in Sancho. Because they'd made such a mess of it last summer. That they kind of probably felt like they owed him. And owed the fan base. And obviously, post-Super League shenanigans, United owners not very popular with the fan base. So this was a bit of a pacifying move. So I don't mind bringing in Sancho. He's a great young talent, and they'll find a way to make it all work, I'm sure. I do think the Cristiano signing is is a bad idea, though. Number one, he's no longer anywhere close to the player he was. So thinking you're getting back the guy who left 12 years ago is ridiculous. Claiming you're going to make all the money back from the half a million a week you're paying him... um, by shirt sales is a nonsense. United receive less than 10% of shirt revenue because it goes to the manufacturer. That's what kit deals are. Exactly. And United's is particularly prevalent in that way because they took a much higher upfront guaranteed money. So theirs might even be like 5% of the actual revenue comes back to them and the rest stays with Adidas as opposed to normally it's like 90, 10, but United took so much more upfront. Um, to make up for missing the Champions League, it should be said. It, like the issue was, they were in really bad financial shape after they missed the Champions League a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but they can only take one. He, Ronaldo can only play one position. He can only play up front in this team. He can't play wide. He can't play behind the striker. Now, the other thing to consider is Bruno Fernandez plays with Cristiano uh, for, at the national level. Bruno Fernandez from Manchester United, since arriving at the club, has been one of the best players in the league. Bruno Fernandes, who plays for Portugal, looks like someone who's put on the wrong boots, seven sizes too small, and stumbles about aimlessly. He is completely useless for his national team. Much of that is to do with Cristiano, because most of the Portuguese attackers don't play well with him. It's the same at club level. Dybala, brilliant before Cristiano, fairly average with Cristiano. Real Madrid. Bale, Benzema, Higuain all saw themselves have bad seasons with Cristiano where their goal numbers collapsed from where they'd been beforehand. At United, the worst seasons of Wayne Rooney, Carlos Tevez and Berbatov's careers came playing with Cristiano. So he doesn't make his teammates better. This idea that he lifts everybody's level just isn't true. Back then, and at Real, he could win games on his own. 
Juve quickly found out he can't do that anymore. There's a reason Real were happy to sell him. And there's a reason now why Juve have been desperate to sell him. Like they actively told George Mendes, please find this guy a move. There's a reason for that. And they this literally is, couldn't afford him. Yeah, literally. But this is this is the this is a prime example of of owners desperately trying to appease a fan base and playing up to emotion, and that's what they've done here. Um, I, I I love the the ambition that they've shown in going big for Varane, going big for Sancho, and if that final signing had been that holding midfielder that they're desperate for, you would have looked. Kamavinga, Kessie, like any of these. Saul. Yep. You know what I mean? Like the plant Basuma. Ooh. It yeah. could have gone big on Ndidi. Uh could have gone and got I know he's not really a holding midfielder, but Zambo was available. Bakayoko was available. Like there was a bunch of people they could have brought in that were an upgrade on McTominay and Fred. Um or Mac Fred as they're collectively known. They didn't address that area of need. And I, I dislike the Cristiano signing. I also think they needed a a, a, a a different option at right back, but they're keeping Diogo Delot, who I do like, so that's fine. I'm happy enough with that. I think it's a B minus because they didn't address the midfield, and I just think the Ronaldo signing is. It reminds me of when they signed Alexis. Mm, which you don't want to be reminded of if you're a midfielder. No, he won't be as bad as Alexis, of course, and he not. will score goals, but I don't think he'll cope with a Premier League season and the level of intensity and aggressiveness and physicality. Is he going to make the difference in big Champions League games? I don't know, especially under a PE teacher. And what's going to happen? Like, answer me this, Kev. What's going to happen the first time Ollie screams at him for not tracking back? <laughs> or will Ollie have the guts to scream at him? Probably not, <laughs> to be honest. You know? I think he prioritizes uh, relationships over <laughs> on-pitch performance. But it worked for Harry Redknapp for a few years, so maybe he's just hoping he can do the same. My question for you is, does Ronaldo – well, two things. One, does Ronaldo's presence actually improve them in the sense that is he not just taking away goals that would have been scored anyway without him? And secondly, will he score enough goals to be anywhere near the Golden Boot race? Um, he may well score enough to be in the golden boot race, but I think he is just taking away goals they would have otherwise scored. If you look at what they're likely going to have to do, um, he's going to take away penalties from Bruno. He'll take away probably some free kicks from Bruno, and he'll score less free kicks than Bruno as well. Exactly. He'll take away the goals of Cavani, Martial, and some of Greenwood's. And when you look at... What, what's their what's their eleven going to be? Right, the I have no idea. Be, it'll be Wanda Saka, Varane, Maguire, and Shaw. That's fine. Probably De Gea and Gold. Fine. It has to now be McTominay and Fred. Has to be. They've got no choice. Has to be McTominay and Fred as a midfield too. Bruno's the ten, and Ronaldo's the nine. So now, who are you starting? <laughs> oh, Sancho, Greenwood, Rashford, and Pogba. Can Yikes. you leave a 90 million pound midfielder who you're trying to get to sign a new contract on the bench or do you have to play him left wing? If you play him left wing, you've now got Rashford, Greenwood and Sancho all for the right hand side. But you pay 75 million for Sancho. So, and exactly, they're all like, other than Greenwood, they all want to play on the left. 
Sancho wants to play on the left, doesn't want to play on the right. So, like, and, and let's remember, they're paying massive wages to Edinson Cavani as well. So Who, who was a good signing, but now yeah. looks redundant. And, like, they want to sell Martial, apparently, next summer. That's the plan. How are you going to rehabilitate his value if he's not going to play? Because he's third choice, number nine, maybe fourth choice, because Greenwood's going to have to play there, because you've got so many options in wide areas. Yeah. I, I, I just think it's really bad squad. It, they're very top-heavy. Very, very top-heavy. I think it's... I think this is the type of team that, you know, you're playing FIFA and you get really excited and this is the type of team you put together. And then when you put it on the pitch, it doesn't work. Like yeah. they tried they tried Pogba in midfield at the weekend and it was a mess. And that was against Neves and Moutinho. Neves yeah. is good. Moutinho is good, but they can't run much. They're not active, dynamic players. What's going to happen when they go up against the midfield that's just going to overrun them? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I, I definitely have them in that top four, though. I don't think any of these signings cause them to not be. I think they're going to face more like dressing four. room issues. Okay, so you have Liverpool ahead of them, third. I have Liverpool third. I have because gotcha. Liverpool have a better better defense, a better midfield, and they not have a better Salah. attack. But well, yeah. they have Salah, and Salah is better than any of those United attackers. So he'll get enough goals and Liverpool will concede few enough that mm. I think they'll finish third. But, you know, I also yeah. trust Klopp a lot more than I trust Oli. Absolutely fair. And these are obviously fine margins, but was just was just curious where you landed there. Um, what, do you, what grade did you give them? Uh, I gave them a B minus. B minus. Same as me. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Cool. Uh, so I'll, I'll move us on to Newcastle United. <laughs> and... They're not used to having nice things. So let's start with the fact that they have a nice thing. So you and I, at the uh, end of season review that we did, we talked about how we weren't sure who was going to be making the worst decision. Whoever bought Willick for an exorbitant amount of money off of one purple patch of form, a very talented player, but he's not going to score eight goals in 13 matches most of his career. Or Arsenal for letting a player like that go. I actually think Newcastle just won. $25 million was not the exorbitant fee I think you and I mm. expected. He did not get the English tax that we usually add on, which is an easy 8 to $10 million on top of that. They just got him for a pretty, pretty good amount of money. And I think Arsenal always were aiming to have sign a 10 in Odegaard or uh, if they'd been able to get Madison. They already gave Smith Rowe the 10 and gave him a contract extension. So I think they were just like, the way we're planning, we don't have space, so you can have him. 25 million, great bit of business. Like I said, eight goals in eight goals in 1,210 minutes, which is basically mm. 13 matches. It's it's just really really good news being able to get him in. He'll help provide goals from midfield, which is something they desperately needed. He'll improve their midfield in other ways as well. It's just he also offers the goal scoring threat. They have a pretty good attacking side if they had a different manager, but you know. Having Alan C. Maximin, Callum Wilson, Ryan Fraser, uh, we'll see what happens with him with all this FIFA versus Premier League versus uh, Football Association stuff that happens to Almiron. But that's a pretty good attacking group. It's Steve Bruce, so they won't. But squad building-wise, not bad. That's pretty much where the good news ends, though. 
They were linked to loads of players from the Premier League. Uh, they really wanted Carter Vickers from us. He ended up going to Celtic. They really wanted Chowdhury from Leicester, who Leicester should have let go. I actually don't really rate Chowdhury that much. But they, he still would have been a body in central midfield for them, um, where you know I think it's probably just about time for the Shelby experiment to end for them. Um, probably more of a championship player. But, but is Chowdhury an upgrade on Shelby? I don't think he is. Uh, I no. think he's an upgrade for what they're trying to do. I don't think he's a better player. But can you play Chowdhury and Hayden in midfield and think that there's going to be any kind of progressive I don't think passing? that's the point. I think the point is one of them gets the ball and then passes it to whoever is the deepest of that attacking unit. I, I see your yeah. point. Yeah, like like you say, I mean, they... I mean, they were even, even though, like, I, I like I like Chowdhury more than you, but like even Hamza Chowdhury and Cameron Carter-Vickers, I mean, you're really, you're not exactly aiming high. Cameron Carter-Vickers was on the last year. And yeah, you missed on both. Cameron Carter-Vickers went to Celtic. He might as well go to League One. Option to buy as well. I look at, I look at Newcastle and I think you needed a centre-back, you haven't got one. You're fine in goal. You've got all the goalkeepers. You're probably going to register four of them, which is great. <laughs> um, I think they needed a, an upgrade on Shelby, though I do think it could be Matty Longstaff if, or not Matty Long, Sean Longstaff, mm. if Bruce would use him properly. Um, but I mean, you loaned out Matty Longstaff to try and bring in Chowdhury, and then made a mess of the Chowdhury thing, and now Longstaff's gone, and you don't have Chowdhury. It makes no sense to me. Like. Like you said, I like the idea of Wilson as a, a nine, Willock as the ten, Almiron off a wing, St. Maximum off a wing. That's fun. You get, you know, a, a good manager gets Lewis back up to speed as the left back. I think Emil Kraft is a good right back. He hasn't done well at Newcastle, but I think he's better than we've seen there. You've got Lachelles, who's probably starting to slow down a little bit with injuries, but still only 27. Get a partner for him. Yeah. And all of a sudden, that's quite a good 11 because you've got Dubravka, who's a good keeper. Mm-hmm. I really like Freddie Woodman. And Darlow yeah. played well last year. You're a centre-back away from a good 11. Now, you don't have a whole bunch of quality depth. But you've got and more I don't than love a... the central midfield. No, I mean, I don't either. I, I wouldn't be hugely... Look, Sh- Sean Longstaff and, Hay- and Hayden are two good, solid, honest players. Longstaff has a decent range of passing and Hayden's a, a fairly good ball winner who's, who understands his, what the big thing about Hayden is he understands his own limitations. He doesn't try and do too much. That to me is at least a platform for those mm-hmm. attackers to play. Maybe instead of playing Kraft at right back, you play Jacob Murphy at right back and you go and tell Murphy and Lewis, bomb forward. Don't worry yeah. about it. Your two centre midfielders will sit and hold with your centre-backs, we'll be fine. We get six guys going forward, four defending, and we'll be fun to watch. We'll play good football. We'll win more games than we lose. And all of a sudden, Newcastle would at least give their fans something. Instead, you've got all these conflicting stories coming out about, um, you know, Steve Bruce is trying to do deals by himself and everybody else has gone home. What a dysfunctional club. Then you see them play in the League Cup. They're standing around having a team huddle. Steve Bruce has stood 10 yards to one side with his arms folded, looking around himself like 
he's trying to figure out what he's meant to be doing there while Graham Jones is giving the thing. Who's who's running things at Newcastle? Potential buyers that haven't actually bought them yet. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 definitely a mess. But despite all of that, and, and you know, both of us mentioned the the shortness and depth, but their starting eleven is still better than it was last year. And if they can avoid injuries or COVID, they'll probably just be safe anyway. Which yeah. is like Newcastle fans' worst nightmare, but everyone above them's dream scenario of just like keep getting the Premier League money in. Yeah. Also, yeah, uh, we were talking Newcastle about the central. Yeah, we were talking about the midfield earlier. I think they made one very silly, well, maybe two, missteps when they were talking to Tottenham. They were trying to get Skip on loan, who is currently starting for us in the Premier League. Probably mm. won't once Ndobele gets reintegrated. But why, when you're on the phone to try to loan Skip, does Harry Winks' name not come up? Yeah, because you, Spurs figured out last season you can't really play Winks and Heusberg together. Nope. So why wouldn't, why wouldn't you make that? For like 20 to 25 million, or we probably even would have done like a loan with a buy option if they're still yeah. in the Premier League or something like that. That will I will never understand that. Skip is like, clearly the player on the incline, with Winks clearly on the decline, and they Winks were like, is, Wait yeah, a Winks has hit that has hit that kind of ceiling of his ability. Very good player, absolutely a good player for Newcastle. Upgrade on Shelby without a question. But you could have got him. You could have got him on a loan with an option to buy. You could have got Connor Gallagher in on loan. I'm yeah. sure if they'd gone to Arsenal earlier in the summer, they could have probably got Maitland-Niles on loan as well and said, look, give us a loan with an option to buy. And played him His either mate... right back or central midfield, exactly. whatever he wants right now. You know, like just, yeah, you have to be you have to be frustrated with, with Newcastle. It's, look, the blame doesn't sit with Steve Bruce for this failed transfer window. It sits with the ownership. But you've also got a question, what is the structure above Steve Bruce? Who's making decisions? And clearly, who's making decisions when it comes to team selection, tactics, etc.? Newcastle, and I feel really bad because like we obviously have Jake as part of the EPL, but there's like there's Newcastle fans are a great bunch. They're a really great bunch. I was talking to a fella the other day on Twitter and such a nice fella, but just so downheartened about what's going on at his club and you just have to feel for them. Ashley needs to. He's the by far the worst owner in the league. What did you give them as a grade, by the way? Uh, as a grade, I gave them a D. Well, yeah, I was going think, around to start this show. I think I'd go D as well. No, I think I'd go C, because I, I do really like the signing of Willock, and they kept St. Maximum, and I was afraid they would try and cash in this summer, because I think there's a lot of hype around them. I think they're a bit worried about is is the physical side of things with them, so maybe, maybe they would have cashed in, but they didn't. So that's good. And Willock on a six-year deal, I like as well. That that long-term commitment means that if he does really well this summer, you can hold out for a good price, knowing you have him on yeah, a on a long. If you go down. But exactly. neither of us think they will. No. Uh, right. We'll move on then to Norwich. I have to say, I love this window, Kev. I, I, this it's so good. This, to me, is one of the best windows anybody had. I put it right up there with Palace. Milot Rashika from Werder Bremen. Werder Bremen are my Bundesliga team. This is a very good player. Two-footed, can score goals, can carry a team in, in moments of need. I like the signing of Angus Gunn, a better goalkeeper than we saw at Southampton. I think he'll do well. Flynn Clark is very talented, young attacking midfielder brought from Peterborough. 
Uh, Giannolis was there last season on loan. They made that permanent. Ben Gibson, the same, made that permanent. Pierre-Lise Malou has looked pretty good since coming in from Nice. Wasn't a player I was overly familiar with, but seems to be neat and tidy, hard-grafting midfielder. Um, Josh Sargent is a, a good Timo Puki backup type. Um, hard worker, runs the channels, links play pretty well. This Christos Solis, I didn't know anything really about other than the name. Huge talent in terms of how he's rated in, in his homeland in Greece. Looked a world beater in his debut <clears throat> against Bournemouth in the Cup. But the loans, Billy Gilmore on loan, brilliant signing. Brandon Williams on loan, brilliant signing. Can play both full back spots. Matthias Norman gives them the ball winner they were desperate for in midfield. And Ozan Kabak is a big upgrade at centre-back over whoever it is that was going to be playing there anyway. I really like the summer. The only thing I would say they've left themselves short with is a poacher type in the box. The type we've talked about other clubs not getting as well. I wonder if they couldn't have got Eddie Nketiah on loan from Arsenal Ooh, or a player of yeah. that nature who could play with a Timu Puki and maybe finish off a lot of the chances that the likes of Cantwell and Rashika will create. But all in all, it's an A window for me with no money. No money to spend. They they sold Buendia. They sold Nizet. They released a bunch of players. They freed up a bunch of wages. And they turned in an absolute belter of a window. I yeah. think Stuart Webber might be... Might be ending sailing towards the end of his time at Norwich because I think a big club is going to come in and pluck him away. He's very, very good. He might be a genius. Um, yes, <laughs> time, time will tell in that front. But I, I think the big test is exactly what you say is could he move to a big club and keep up this level of performance? Because if he does, he'd be one of the best in his job in the Premier League. Um, they obviously, as you said, had a fantastic window. I've, I've given them an A minus. Um, the only reason being just, and you know what, this might be a, a, a logical incongruity on my part, because I thought that Aston Villa did a fantastic job of replacing what Grealish did. And I'm not sure I feel the same way about Norwich losing Buendia. Mm. Um, they knew it was coming. I think the big surprise is that Buendia stayed last summer um, after they got relegated, but I, I like all the players that they brought in at, and you covered, you know, all of them. Uh, so I don't need to rehash a lot of that. I just, I feel like maybe they're missing the specialness, the, the, I don't want to say flair and have it mean like ball rolls or anything like that. I, I just wonder if they've built something more solid, but something less promising that, that that could just be a bad gut feeling. Part of this is that I don't really rate Josh Sargent and we've seen uh, obvious regression now for, for a while from, um, Oh my God, his name just blanked out. Of my mind. Pookie. Pookie. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, I just don't know. I, I guess here's, here's a big question for you. I think if they kept Buendia and maybe not signed a couple of these players, they would have still been able to stay up. Do you agree with that? And do you think they still will now? Um, I, I don't think they would have stayed up if they kept Wendia because they wouldn't have been able to sign probably Rashika. And that would have been big. For sure. uh, Lise Malou or Sargent. Now, look, I, I get what you're saying about Sargent, but I do think he'll do well for them. Um, I think Todd Cantwell will be expected to step into 
some of the creative part of mm-hmm. Buendia's role and Rashika will take on the goal scoring part. But I also think we'll see a slightly different shape to what we saw last year um, with Buendia not being directly replaced, but the shape changing and looking to bring in other attributes yeah. that can, can help them. Okay, I buy that. But yeah, it's an A minus for me. I think you said it was an A from you. Yeah, yeah, it is. Got it. All right, uh, well, moving on to Southampton now. Uh, I was kind of harsh on Southampton last season, as you may recall. Last summer, Southampton seemed to be trending up. We all loved Haas and Hoodle. Um, Then they spent a window signing a whole bunch of players that didn't actually make their first team any better. Walker Peters was already there. Um, Solis, who I wasn't particularly in love with and didn't think he'd be playing regularly. I, I forget a couple of the other names, but I thought that this summer I was just going to bury them again, <laughs> to be honest. Um, no offense to, to Sam Cox, who comes on our show a fair bit to, to talk about Southampton, but they lost Ings, which I thought was a bit of a surprise. I thought he'd stick around one more year or, or move to a much bigger club if he did leave for more money than they got. Villa for 25 was very surprising to me. They lost Vestergaard. I'm sure you don't view that as, as big of a loss. <laughs> I know you aren't a huge fan, but... Um, they didn't really have anyone in my mind in in house to help replace that that spot, and with those two leaving, I thought this was clearly a culling, and that they were trying to just start the next phase for them. So I thought James Ward Prowse was about to be next out the door, but then things turned around kind of quickly. Ward Prowse signs an extension instead of opting to to exit out the front door, which I was personally a little disappointed in, would have loved him to to reunite with Hoybier for us since we have literally no one who can take a set piece for their entire life. Although Sonny just scored off of one because he missed everyone on accident. Um, but getting Ward Prowse to sign up long-term, huge for them, offers loads of ability, you know, can set up goals with his passing, can bang in free kicks from anywhere whenever he wants. Obviously really good on, on the corners as well. He's not just a set piece master. By the way, I don't want that to be exclusively the takeaway. But if he had gone, they would have had to have someone else try to replicate that, and they wouldn't have. Other players can pass the ball and, and and run with it as well as he does. But you get them. We talked about this in the Chelsea section. You get in three young Chelsea players, probably before they were stunted, because none of them were really knocking on the door of the first team yet. But all of them should – well, I think Simu actually went and, and wound up being with the youth team now that I say that. But Livermento immediately is starting um, on that right side. Um, I don't really know why they did that. I think Walker Peters did relatively well, but that's fine. He started well, and he'll probably just hold on to that spot. And you can use Kyle Walker-Peters for the role that Lester are constantly trying to find, which is somebody that can deputize on both sides, and Walker-Peters is able to do that. Um, Parad is going to play there on, on the left side there. So you, you've simultaneously improved both of your flanks, obviously, with um, – oh, forgot his name. Went to Lester. Bertrand. What is it happening to me right now? Thank you, Ryan Bertrand. Um, so you're, you're good there. Uh, you lose Ings. That's a huge ding. Um, he, he was such a crucial player for them last year. But you bring in Adam Armstrong, who's had a really good start to the season, offers a lot of the same stuff if he can live up to his potential, which is great because I don't really believe in Shea Adams at all. I realize that I might be in the minority there. Um, Walcott is a whatever move. He was already there. Um, I know you mentioned uh, how surprised you were that Everton uh, let Thierry Small go or, or weren't able to retain mm. him at least. Um, so that's a that's a young player along with Simi who will probably be in 
uh, the youth team and then come through soon. I don't really know anything about Lianco, but I think last summer I thought they were kicking on and didn't do enough to maintain it. This year, I think Southampton are really struggling, but then added players who can improve it. So it's it's a weird – I'm not really sure what their long-term trend line would look like. My guess is it'll just look like squiggles. But I have them as one of my three teams going down, and I think this window takes them just out of that for me. And what's your grade on them? Uh, I give them a C plus. Okay. Um I they like harsh. Some of now that I've said all of that, I'm, I'm going to knock it up to a B minus. <laughs> I realize they made a lot of points that sound a lot nicer than a C plus. Um, I, I think they've done some things well and just not enough in other areas. So, like I, I've said, I said on the last show, I'm not a fan of Vestergaard. I think Leancus is is as good as him, and they've made a 10 million profit there. So I like that. I think Salisu is more than good enough to step in and start next to Bednarak. Not next to Jack Stevens, who just, for me, should be your fourth centre-back. They needed a second right-back, and they got that in Livermento. So that's box ticked there. I think uh, Lianku in for Vestigard is upgraded centre-back. So, you know, four centre-backs, job done. With Bertrand leaving, they needed two left-backs. They bring in uh, Perot, and they bring in Small. So, again, box ticked. And even if Small spends the season with the 23s, like you said... Walker Peters can play left back when needed. So again, situation at fullback hugely improved on last season. Even if Perot was a slight step down from Bertrand, I'm not sure if he will be. He might be a sideward step, but you still improved your depth and you've got different options now. So that's really good. In midfield is where I have issues. They haven't done enough. So you went into this summer with Romeo. Diallo and Ward-Prowse as your only central midfielders because Lamina wasn't part of the picture and he's gone. Jankovic, the young player that was coming through the the academy that got sent off at Old Trafford last year, they've sold him as well. So for me, they've left themselves a body short in central midfield because Romeo will get hurt at some point. And if Ward-Prowse gets hurt or suspended or anything like that, they're in big trouble because they've only got Diallo. In the Attacking midfield roles, I thought they needed one, but they didn't get it. Now, if El Yanasi is going to to be played, he can fill that void. And he's gotten some goals for them recently. He got a hat-trick in the cup and one in the league. So maybe he fills that void. They've got him, uh, Gineppo, Stuart Armstrong, and uh, Nathan Redmond can all play those roles. So that's actually fine. But up front, I thought they needed someone to play with Danny Ings. Because like you, I think Che Adams is your third or fourth striker. And Walcott would then be behind that. And I don't think they've done enough. Armstrong replaces Ings, but it is a step down. He's not as good as Ings is right now. He might get there. Mm. You know, he's, he's young. He's got loads of potential. He's coming off a great year at Blackburn. But I still think they needed one more up front. So for me, they've left themselves two players short. I like what they've done, bar the Walcott signing, but whatever. But I just don't think they've done enough. Now, I don't know enough about Armando Broja or Broja to pass judgment on whether he can become a starter for them. Already got minutes, which is impressive this early in the season. It is for sure. But is he going to get minutes or is he going to get goals? Because what you need is goals Mm. if you're going to start someone. 
And I look through that team and I don't see enough goals, especially from open play. So I think they're one short up front, one short in midfield. But I do like the work that they've done. But unfortunately, losing Ings is huge. 25 million because you held on to him until he only had a year left in his contract. I think you're going to be short. I have them currently in my bottom three to go down. But in saying that, I do like what they did. It's just not enough. I've, I've gone I've gone C+. Plus. It, it would easily have been a B if they could have got that a body in midfield. It didn't have to be anybody who'd pull up trees. It literally just had to be a body in midfield. Mm. Like, why not ring Spurs and say, any chance we can have Harry Winks on loan? Yeah. Like, Winks and Ward-Prowse together looks like a decent fine. enough midfield to me. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I'm i concerned. I, I like Southampton as a club. I love Ralph, Ralph Hasenhutl, but I am concerned that they've left him with a very a very short hand uh, for the season ahead. Um, that moves us on nicely mm-hmm. to Tottenham Hotspur. So, that, this being your club, I will give you the floor. <laughs> uh, what do you think of what your boys did this summer? Yeah, well, it was interesting, wasn't it? it, it I initially didn't even want to give us a grade because I, like many others, got wrapped up in the deadline day furor over the fact that we are at least one attacking player short. We had Gareth Bale, Carlos Vinicius, and Lamella all last year, all three depart, and all we got back was was Brian Heal. Looks very promising. Is he going to score us 20 goals? Probably not, uh, which the departing trio obviously did. We got younger at every position, which is nice. Uh, Hart to Galini, Lamella to Heal, Aldevero to Romero, Sissoko to Sar, who stayed out on loan at Mets, and Aurier to Emerson. So that's that's positive. Positive first steps and clearly an objective uh, that, that was given to uh, Paratici. Two starters, probably. Probably Christian Romero and Emerson will become starters in the next month or so. The big issue with Romero is his international status. We'll see how that all goes with the red-listed countries and, and that ruling. But it's interesting to me that we're lining up a window of success for after Kane leaves. While also hoping that we're improving enough right now, like I mentioned with the two starters. Um, so the reason why I didn't want to give us a grade is that... The short-term grade for this window would be like a C plus or a B minus. We have left ourselves short. We probably won't make the top four this year. And if this is Kane's last year, that is a huge issue. Um, it all depends on Brian Heal. If he is genuinely ready to be a regular contributing member of the first team right now, then we're good. But if he's not, we didn't bring in a backup striker. We didn't land Adama Traore, who we were trying to get. I won't comment on what I think about that because it didn't happen, so I don't have to. (laughs) (laughs) But we were looking at other attacking options, both up front and out wide, and didn't do either. So Brian Heal has to be Like, he has to be good this year if we want to have any chance of making the top four. And I just don't think you can rely on that, regardless of whether or not he's able to or whether or not he does. That is just a very unfair thing to expect from him because we miss out on other options. So, like I said, short term, not great. Long term, better looking, 
But I think it's much easier if we break this down into three categories. We'll start off with incomings. Incomings is a B for now. It's an A long term. The B isn't because of the players that didn't come in, though. Like, I, I realize that's what I just talked about. But the B is just for the players that actually did come in. We got younger at literally every position, like I mentioned. Romero, again, international issues. He should displace someone. I think he should displace Dyer, personally. Yes. But I have seen a lot of people that are smarter than me, more hooked in these days than me, saying that it'll be for Davinson Sanchez because they don't trust Sanchez and Romero next to each other. It is embarrassing that for a third straight year, Dyer is going to regularly start because of squad, not squad chemistry, because of like tactical links. But if that's the case, that'll be a big bummer. Davinson has actually started the year really well. Uh, for those that don't know, the main difference that's happened since Nuno came in is that now Nuno is the one that, <laughs> Nuno, Davinson Sanchez is now the one that's further back. So he's cleaning up things with his athleticism rather than being on the front foot and charging forward and losing players behind him, which is so typically him. So Romero over Sanchez, still an upgrade, not as big of an upgrade as it would have been over Dyer, who is comfortable playing on the left. The fact that our two left-sided center backs are Dyer and Joe Roden and our right side is Romero and Davinson Sanchez feels really uneven, even though I like Joe Roden. But that's fine. You bring in Romero. Obviously an upgrade. Spent a lot of money on him. He has to be good, but I do think he will be. Um, but clearly the thing is that we're win- lining up for this window of success post-Kane. I think that's that's the big sign from here. And we're just hoping that it's enough to maybe eke top four so that the drop in Kane's value is less than the money gained from getting into the Champions League. Not overly confident in that regard. So that gets a B for me. Outgoings gets an A-. minus. The minus is because we let Juan Foyth leave for 14 million pounds, which is just embarrassing given the season that he's had. Mourinho didn't like him, so we loaned him out with an option to buy. He balled out for, I think it was Villarreal, Mm. and then ended up making that move super cheap. And he's like literally the player we need on the left side, but that's fine, whatever. He offered that mobility that now we don't have. Not bringing back Baylor Vinicius on loan, also questionable. So that's, that's the minus. Everything else was amazing. The painful rebuild that Poch always said was coming turned out to be not as painful as it could be in the market anyway, on the pitch with Mourinho. That was the painful part. But this offseason, we've offloaded Hart, Toby, Aurier, Rose, Sissoko, and Lamella. That is 822,000 pounds per week off the wage bill, which is almost 3.5 million pounds a year. That is incredible. For Paratici's first window at the club, players that we've been trying to move on from for ages, and he walks in and gets rid of six of them, just incredible job by him. It was emotional. Five of those players were very heavy contributors in the run to the Champions League final, but all of them had been decreasing. The only one that you could say is maybe stayed at his level was Lamella, but he never reached the level he was supposed to reach anyway. So... Getting rid of all of them, you know, whether it was Mourinho or age regression, they just weren't the players they once were. Getting rid of all of them helps the coffers and also helps our international situation. We were up against it really hard for the last two or three years, but only Hart and Rose were homegrown. So, like, that's not even an issue at the club anymore. We could sign three internationals tomorrow. I mean, we can't because the window just closed. But all of a sudden, certainly not an issue for us. That's huge. Um, we had a lot of low knees. 
Uh, I think that's fine. Not as many as I expected because we apparently want to compete in the Papa John's Trophy and the Youth European Conference League, all of which feels very laughable. We also cut some players that um, we thought would make it into the first team, like Dennis Serkin and, and the like. But all in all, outgoings, A-, minus, did a really good job. Yeah. The, the, I, I, oh, I'm not done. Oh, you're not don't, done. Oh, don't you apologies. worry. See, apologies. a lot of people would think I was done. I, I, I am not surprised that you that you tried to stop me there. What people aren't talking about are the keeps, because there is that Harry Kane fella. But we re-signed Sun Young Min, one of the best players in the Premier League, to a four-year contract extension. Despite all of the issues that are happening at the club, my understanding is he actually signed it last December, and we couldn't announce it because of the loan structures. Uh, with banks uh, during COVID. But regardless, the fact that he has decided to stay and barring something crazy, will be retiring at Spurs at the age of 34. I mean, you don't imagine he's going to make many big moves after that is incredible to me. His presence on and off the pitch, massive. The fact that he wanted to be here while who we thought was the physical manifestation of the fan base in Harry Kane was doing everything he could to leave City, and City were doing basically nothing to actually try to get him. Son was like, no, I want to be here. It reminds me of the, the quote, converts have the strongest faith. Harry Kane loves us in the context that he was supposed to. Son chose us. Son feels a loyalty to the club after we backed him through all of the Asian Cup stuff of him trying to, I don't want to say get out of, but but being allowed to not have to do military service. He is, and I I heard some people talking about this last week at Denver Spurs, he is the one that's one of our own because he chose to be. I'm not saying he he deserves that chant or that he'll get it, obviously Tonganga and Skip currently getting it, but that is so huge that a player at his level Still inconsistent, still has his purple patches where he looks like the best winger in the world, still has his bad patches where the rest of the team is kind of carrying him along, but he still sticks because he'll score a random goal and and get himself out of it. But the fact that Sun chose to stay is so huge for the future of this club because it means the next window, which I mentioned might be post-Kane, will have Sun as part of it. And that is just that is just incredible on all parts around. I already talked about Harry Kane for way too long earlier, keeping him we have a chance to break into the top four. We wouldn't have even had a chance without him staying. We might have hurt ourselves long-term financially, trying to keep him, trying to achieve something with him in the short term, which we didn't really build a team to do around him. But Harry Kane's staying, everyone has talked about. I don't know why no one is talking about us keeping Sun and it being some of the best business of the summer. So that's an A-plus for me. So to recap, it's a B for incomings, it's an A-minus for outgoings, and it's a hilarious A-plus for the players that we kept. I, I I fully agree. I think Spurs have had, after what threatened to be a mortifying summer with the, the shenanigans over appointing a manager, ending up with a manager that you didn't really want, all of the Kane stuff that had publicly that played out, all of the noise. I thought this was going to be a, a summer where maybe Spurs collapse and maybe Levy ends up in a position where he has to leave. I think it's turned out better than you could have imagined. Now, I look at your squad and I have to say, I think you're perfectly set up to go to three at the back. So for me, yeah. what that three at the back would look like is Tanganga as the right side, 
or Davinson, but I think Tanganga's got real potential. Now, mm-hmm. if, it, if you'd signed Tommy Asu, I would have put him there, but you didn't. You've got Tanganga. I, I love Romero. I think he's phenomenal. And then Joe Roden would be the left-sided one. I'm not, I'm not as high on him as you are, but he is good. In reserve of that, you've got Davinson, Dyer, and Davies. That's solid. That's a good cup back three. Dyer's better in a three than he is in a two. At right wing back, you've got Emerson Royale and Matt Doherty. Both mm-hmm. more natural wing backs than full backs. At left wing back, you've got Regulon and Sessignon. Which is Again, incredible. Absolutely outstanding. Best left back depth in the league. And again, both more wingbacks than fullbacks. In midfield, you've got Hoysberg with Winks's depth. You've got Endombele with, say, Lacelso as depth. And you've got Delhi with Ollie Skip as depth. Now, I know not in that, like, Delhi and Skip are very different players, but you know what I mean? If you're starting 3 0, was Delhi, Hoysberg, and Endombele, and your cup three was Winks. Skip and Lacelso. Yeah. You'd be really happy with that. Up Especially front, in the quality of cups that we're in. <laughs> of course. Up front, then you've got Kane and Son, two world class players. I think Son is your best player, but I will happily accept the argument that it's Kane. But I have adored Youngman Son since he was at Hamburg. So you'll allow me that one. Mm-hmm. Brilliant, right? Then you've got Bergvine, who can be a wing back if you need him to, can play in the front two, good player. Mora can play in the front two. Good player. You've brought in Brian Hill. I don't think he's ready yet, but however, exceptionally talented young player. And you've got young Jack Clark. The one thing you don't have is a backup for Son. That's in a back three. Now, you have been playing a 4-3-3, and that's where I think maybe you look a little bit weaker. Because Emerson Mm -hmm. and and Regulon, a fullback, really good. Not as good as they would be as wingbacks, but still really, really good. Romero is one of the centre-backs. You don't have a partner for him. Dyer's not good enough. Davinson's too error-prone. I don't think uh, Roden is of the level. Davies has never looked comfortable as a centre-back in a two. And I'm not sure Tanganga's ready either. So that might be one for next summer. But we know you tried to get Kunde and Pau Torres. Mm-hmm. So you were actively trying. It's not like you just ignored that. You actively tried. I'm not a big fan of what Lloris is now. I think he's past his best and a little bit error-prone, but still a great shot-stopper. Gallini's good, not great. I don't think he becomes a starter for you. I don't think we'll I, buy him, to be no, honest. No, neither do I. But I think it was a clever move to get rid of Hart and get him in. Lower wages, more upside, better in the Cups. In a midfield three, like I said, you've got, you're have got you loaded in midfield. You've got great options with, with Hoysberg, Delhi, who's reborn this season, and Dembele when he comes back, the Celso, Winks, and Skip. Getting rid of of Aurier and Sissoko is massive. Massive. For the culture, for continuity, for la- taking out players capable of turning in a 3 out of 10. Lads capable of losing you a game on your own, gone. And then in attack, you've got Sun on one side, say Bergvine on the other, Kane through the middle, and then Hill and Mora as the depth wide players. But again, you're missing a striker. So realistically, you are missing two players, a starting left side centre-back and that back up to Kane. 
the backup to Kane, what you mentioned earlier, Odson Edward could have been the answer there. You know, it wouldn't have been overly expensive. Bring him in a couple of years, develop him, and then sell him at a profit, and then go and find someone else, 19, 20, 21, get them in a couple of years, sell them or whatever. I like what you've done. I like the fact that you kept Kane, that you stuck to your guns. Now, I think it's a mistake to keep him in terms of the finances of things, but I can understand why you did. I love that you got Son on a new deal. I like what I'm seeing from Delhi because I thought at the beginning of the summer he's one that has to go, but he's turned things around. Hopefully, Hoysberg, or hopefully Endombele can too. All things considered, I'm I'm quite high on Spurs. I think you've massively underperformed for the last couple of years. And by that, I mean you should have been top four and you weren't. Now, you've improved this summer, but unfortunately, I think so have so have uh, United, so have Chelsea. Yeah. So Same I situation we talked about with fit. Leicester. Like, yeah. like when we've gotten better is when everyone else got way better. Got way better as well. I have you fifth. But if you can be consistent, you could sneak in. I don't yeah. think it's likely, but it is possible that you could sneak into fourth. If you do that, you might keep Kane beyond next summer. You might keep him anyway. There's talk of a new contract, so we'll see. Mm-hmm. But I would give Spurs window a B plus. Overall, a B plus because I think you've bought well. Romero's an absolute stud. That's a great signing. He's brilliant. Mm. He'll Defender master of the year in Serie A. Yes, a big upgrade on Toby. He he will be better than what Toby was at his best, in my view. And I think you go again in January, you try and find a partner for him and you try and find that depth behind Kane. And all of a sudden you look around and Spurs have two good players in every single position Mm. and a couple of spares because you'll have, say if Tanganga and Davinson are the backup centre-backs, you still have Davies and Dyer. You have two good right-back, well, one good right-back and Doherty's a good wing-back. He's just not very good defensively. But your left-back situation's great. You've got quality in midfield, six quality midfielders, six of them, all of whom you can rely on as long as you get them confident. Delhi and Endembele, as long as they're confident, they'll be quality. You've got great wide options. It's just that backup behind Kane. But the plus is if Sun has to go central, at least then Bergvine and Hill or Bergvine and Mora, they're options there. So you're, you're not too badly off. Yeah, and I I totally agree not to interject one last time, but I think you're exactly right. I think we are literally the fifth best team in the league right now, Mm. and we have put ourselves in touching distance of of Champions League places if things go right. Leicester could catch us. I think they're right behind us. We could catch the top four, but right now I think there's a very clear top four, then us, then Leicester, then a bit of a mess after that. But the thing is, I think you only need one team to have a bad season to sneak in. It's not like, say, last year where you would have needed probably a couple to sneak in. If one of the the top four has a bad season, if United, for whatever reason, let's say it all goes wrong, Ollie can't sort it out, they sack him, they struggle to get a replacement in, that doesn't immediately spark, you could sneak your way in to fourth that way. So, you know, that's positive as well. Um, We'll leave Spurs, we'll move on, because we want to get the last three wrapped up. Um, Watford, lots of incomings. Quadwo Ba, Matty Pollock, Imran Luza, Emmanuel Dennis, Ashley Fletcher, Danny Rose, Josh King, uh, Musa Sissoko, and Yura Kuka. 
I have to say, I, I, I can't wrap my head around what Watford are. I, I don't really understand much of what they're doing. They've signed a lot of players. Some are talented and I think will help them in the future. Some will help them now, but I, I don't like the likes of Chalaba and Hughes being sold off. I, I don't like it, is, is the honest truth. I don't like what they've done. Now, Atibo and Tufan are good loan signings. But I'm I'm really not sure on them. And overall, I've given them a C minus, but it's largely from a position of ignorance because I, I just don't I'm struggling to see the big picture here. Yeah, I, I've actually given them a B. I think they made some confusing moves, like you said, but I also think they made moves that will probably give them a decent chance of staying in the Premier League. I I do not have that much love for Musa Sissoko, but I think he is going to be a really big driving force for them in central midfield, where, as you mentioned, they lost some players who are probably technically better, but far less powerful in that position. Um, it seems like Emmanuel Dennis is a really good signing. Danny Rose being part of the squad, I, you know, obviously a soft spot for, but he's not a bad option regularly. Uh, Josh King is not it up front, <laughs> but, you know, you get him on a free, so I, I guess that's fine. Um, but it, it just feels like they made a lot of solidifying moves. I think... If they don't stay up, I think Sissoko is probably immediately gone back to somewhere in France. Rose mm. might stay at this point. You know, a lot of people have a lot of negative things to say about Rose. Some of them because of that not being white thing that we talked about earlier. But um, I think he has a lot of nous and maturity so that, like, if they went down, if they're still his best option, he will stay. Like he yeah. will not be trying to say like I deserve to be in the Premier League. He happily played for our U23s all of last year. Yeah, like and, and just, apparently was a very positive influence. He is, and when he has off days with Watford, he still goes and watches them to support them. Like yeah. he is a really, really solid dude that has a reputation that he does not deserve. But anyway, I think Watford are fine. I, I think they got to be, and by fine, I mean I don't, I don't really think they're gonna stay up. But I think they did the kind of business that we've seen a lot of these sides that flirt with either side of, of the Premier League uh, drop zone in. I think if this team goes down, they'd come back up next year. See, I've got three issues with them and they're all up the spine of the team. Mm. I don't like Daniel Bachman, the goalkeeper. I think Ben Foster's at 38. He's, he's, he's had his day. I don't like the center backs. I don't like Trusto Khan. I don't like Cathcart. I don't like Cavaselli. We've seen they never had good center backs. We've talked about this never for had almost a decade backs. now. Yeah, and they've never bothered to sort anything out. Um, so I, I don't. I wouldn't trust any of the centre backs. I like the full backs. I like Messina. I like Rose. Uh, I quite like Jeremy Ngaki of the the young kid they bought from West Ham last summer. They they're not using them midfield. I, th- I think they're strong. If Thibaut lose a cleverly. I know Cleverly and Gosling, I wouldn't be playing a whole lot, but Cleverly is the captain. Sissoko and Kuka, that's decent. And, and Osun Tufan is a good player. So midfield, I think they're fine. And I, I like what they've got in wide areas. Chucho, I, I think Emmanuel Dennis is probably slightly better as an inside forward than a nine. Mm. But, you know, unless Joe Pedro really sparks this season, I just, I just don't see enough goals. It's worth saying I, that I don't think either of us mentioned Sark. Keeping him was one of the reasons I gave them as high a grade as I did, because if he had gone, yeah. they just would have been going straight down. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, right, let's move on then. What about West Ham? You're the last London rival. <laughs> How will you disparage them? 
I didn't realize I got all of them. That's that's a that's a pretty good time. Um, I wouldn't disparage them in terms of the transfer market. Um, I think that this window is one of the more heavily slept on ones of of the window. Like I don't think anybody's really talking about the window that West Ham had. But last season, fantastic for them. David Moyes did a great job. They finally bought players that actually cared about playing for West Ham rather than just living in London and getting paid 60k a week. Um, I think last season, as amazing as it was, they heavily relied on Greg Dawson. Not a thing that you should do long term. And another 100 plus save season from Fabianski to keep things tight at the back. They were both incredible last season. Really not trying to take that away. I'm just trying to point out that when it comes to squad building, you can't expect that. It's very nice, but you need to have a backup plan. In step, Alphonse Ariola, who was fantastic for Fulham last year, I think is really starting to cement himself as an actual regularly starting goalkeeper rather than just like a prospect that was going to sit behind whoever was at PSG for the rest of his career. thought he made really positive steps last year. Um, and you bring in Kurt Zuma, who you mentioned earlier, apparently you think they, they overpaid a bit, which they probably did. But if you can't count on Craig Dawson to be what he was, or if you don't really believe in Ugbana, who seems like he's going to be the, the lock on the other side of that pairing, then bringing in somebody like Zuma, who has a lot of experience, you mentioned he just had like the one good year, but he's also been flitted around a bit. So I, I'm, I'm not surprised that he hasn't shown a lot of consistency, but I still believe in the talent. This feels like the classic like big club downgrade where he has a lot to prove. And if you're a player with his talent and a lot to prove, I think he'll do really well. Uh, I, I love that signing. I, I mean, I hate it, but for the for them, I think it's a good one. Um, another player that was impressive last season, obviously Aaron Cresswell. But he led them in chances created. Not crosses or accurate crosses, actual chances created. Chances that led to shots. I, on target, I think, is technically the definition for that. That is just not good enough. So if you're wondering why they were in for an attacking midfielder with Ben Rama, Lanzini, and Fernals all still in the building, that's why. My surprise is not that they went out to get Nikola Vlasic, who both of us really like, and if yeah. he can reach his potential, will be a fantastic player for West Ham. My confusion is that none of the other guys left. And so that's a that's a hard thing for me to judge, because it's <laughs> we joked about this in the Everton section, that... Vlasic has done it again. <laughs> He's gone to another club with, with now attacking four midfielders. attacking midfielders. Exactly. Managed by a former Everton manager, by the way. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this is not promising. <laughs> Nicola, get out while you can. Um, but it's a great signing. I'm really not sure what the plan is with the rest of those players. They're, they're in the Europa League, so they have more matches now. So maybe that was part of the thought, is we just need them there. You can play... Um, you you can obviously play uh, as names escaping my mind. Um, you can play four nulls as a central midfielder, especially now that you have extra matches. He should be fine there. So maybe you remove him from that attacking midfield thing. Lanzini hasn't really been a thing for a while. Um, so then maybe it's just Ben Rama versus Vlasic, and you're just saying, look, we have a lot of matches. We'll rotate you. Maybe one of you will float out out, out wide from from time to time. Um, but regardless of that. It's good that they have signed him. Still curious where that's going to go. I've said that multiple times in these two shows, but a lot of teams adding players to positions that they already had players in. Um, 
I don't know much about Alex Kroll. I didn't know anything about Suchek or Sufal when they came either, uh, but they both did well. They're probably just hoping that they can capture that that lightning in a bottle for a third straight time. But what I loved about those guys, and we've talked about this before, is these Czech players that they brought in was almost like a cultural reboot at West Ham. These are players that were delighted to have come that were moving up in their career, still had a lot to play for, technically talented as well. They aren't just schlubs, but they were players that were buying into what was happening at West Ham rather than the players that I mentioned before that, you know, maybe moved there for the pay packet. Mm. Um, And the the location. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you get to make a lot of money and live in London, get to play in the Premier League. You aren't going to get beat out by anybody behind you because they were always building the 11, not the squad. So you brought in players that were fighting for their place, They were happy to be there, happy to play and fight for West Ham, and then ended up being two of their better players. So when you have players that are that committed and, compared to some in the squad, are better than you, that only makes everyone else have to keep trying. You have Declan Rice obviously moved there, same kind of situation. So you're starting to build this thing where like everyone is bought in, everybody's playing for West Ham, not for themselves, not for whatever their next move that they've already lined up might be. So I think that's great. Obviously, you have to sacrifice the players that came in that were like that. Fornals, I think, is one of them, but he seems to be turning things around. Somebody that didn't turn things around, Felipe Anderson. Both of us like that move, but I think it's becoming more and more clear that this culture thing was an issue there. So he goes back to Italy for almost nothing, um, and I think that's that's a big issue because it leaves them a little bit short in attack. Maybe not striker per se, but if anything happens to Michael Antonio, who was a right back two years ago— <laughs> Who even plays up front? I literally don't know the answer to that question. Um, that's where I think it's it's a little bit of a question mark. But I've given them an A minus. I think this is a fantastic window. The minus is because I think they're an attacking player short. Yeah, I, I agree. Look, I, I love the signing of Ariola. I think he's an excellent goalkeeper. He's an upgrade on Fabianski. They they absolutely needed at least one at centre back. Probably ideally two, but. They did keep Dawson, so that's fine. And they bring in Zuma. Again, they overpaid, but he is a good centre-back. And him and Ogbonna should be good. I I think they'll try him and Diop and try and get that French connection going. I think they could have done with depth at left-back or ideally a new starting left-back, even though Cresswell played well last season. I still think they could upgrade on him, but it's not a massive thing. But I think depth would have helped because Masawak is the only other option there and he's always injured. But that's fine. They've sorted the defence by bringing in Zuma. They've kept everybody. They got rid of uh, Balbuena, which is also a plus because he was dreadful. Upgrading goalkeeper, upgrading defence. Brilliant. The big needs then, you absolutely needed somebody in midfield because you only had Rice and Suchek because Mark Noble can't play anymore. You mentioned uh, Fornals. He can play there. Absolutely fine. But you definitely needed one more, and they get him in Alex Kral. Positionally excellent defensive midfielder, strong in the challenge, good on the ball, fits in with how both Rice and Suchek play. can play with either of those two. Will be a different type of pairing, him and Rice, but him and Suchek will be very similar to Rice and Suchek. So really like that one. And getting him on loan with a good option to buy, very, very good business. In attacking midfield, the three behind the one, you looked at the starters, Bone on the right, Ben Rama as the 10, Fornals off the left, with, say, Yarmolenko and Lanzini as depth. Then you thought, okay, 
they have bodies there. They probably don't need to do anything, but getting Vlasic is really good. I think it's one of the best signings anyone's made this summer, to be honest. I think they got him at a good price. He's a really good age. He's got definitely going to have resale value. I think the other big plus of signing him is it meant they didn't buy Jesse Lingard mm. and they weren't sold on Jesse Lingard having one hot streak with no fans in the stands because Jesse Lingard, to me, is the ultimate training player. Brilliant in training, rarely shows it in games. And when he does, he can't put consistency together. I think he benefited more than anybody from no fans in the stands last year. Nobody shouting at him. He was awful. I think that was fool's gold. I think they've done well to avoid that. And United asking for 25 million was a nonsense. They get a younger, better player who I think will benefit them. I think Ben Ram is probably the one who misses out. I think he goes to the bench and then is like the fourth option who comes in when others need a rest. But the other Which big Which is a shame because he's been really good. He's been really good. He's, he's a very good player, but I don't think Moyes is overly keen on his off-ball work. Yeah. But the big need then was was a backup to Antonio. Like you said, who plays there when he's not there? I think the answers are going to be Jared Bowen or Yarmolenko. Because who else can there be? There's no one else in the squad that could Yarmolenko's do still there. I literally yeah. didn't know that. And I think they couldn't get rid of him this summer because he earns too much. Like, he's on 70, 80 grand a week. Did, why would he leave? So maybe Felipe so, Anderson wasn't the last outgoing of that. No, <laughs> that I, I, think, I think Yarmo was probably the last one of that group. But I, I do think it's him or Bowen through the middle and then Ben Ram will come in. But all things considered, the only thing I think they left themselves short is that back up to Antonio. But again, you'd, you'd be tr- it's quite hard to buy that back up because you're trying to buy someone style specific. I think the move was Divock Origi. Now, I know I say that as a Liverpool fan who said he's not good enough for us. Like a loan? But as a, as a loan with an option to buy or an obligation to buy is would have been favourable for Liverpool, I think he would have made sense because he's a similar build, has a similar skill set. He's not as good. He's not as effective. But maybe for the 10, 12 games a year that Antonio will miss, he could have done that job for you. That's the only thing that stops me giving them an A plus is they didn't address that because I'll live with Masuaka as the backup right back as long as Cresswell stays fit. Not getting in that backup striker knocks it from an A plus to an A for me. I think West Ham have done brilliantly and I'm really glad to see that they've backed Moyes. I think they've made four really good signings. And like I say, part of what I like so much is that they weren't fooled into paying a big fee for Jesse Lingard based on half a season that is a complete outlier to his entire career. I know we said Joe Willock at 25 million was good value, but Joe Willock was 21 turning 22. Jesse Lingard, if I'm not mistaken, is 28 years of age. Mm. Uh, He's either 28 or turning it. He is 28. He'll be 29 in December. And that is one outlier run of form. Now, he had a good run, I think, back in like 17, 18. But that's the only other season where he scored more than six goals. It was a fluke, a fluke run last season. He's not going to repeat that for you. And remember as well, at least a number of them were like, you know, goals when the game was already won, things like that, that that aren't really as, as valuable as goals to win games. So, Pressure off, Jesse Lingard's type of player you want. Pressure on, not so much. Um, I'll move us then to the last team, Wolverhampton Wanderers. 
So Yerson Mosquera comes in, young centre-back, Colombian. Uh, Ray and Aitnuri, they make that deal permanent. Jose Sa, they bring in uh, to replace Rui Patricio, who leaves. They bring in Francisco Trinquiao on loan and Huang Hee Chan on loan. I like both of the loans. I love the signing of Aitnuri in a permanent. Mosquera is very highly rated. Jose Sa is dreadful. Dreadful. Uh, and, and a big downgrade on a goalkeeper who was already declining in Ruri Patricio. They also sold Rafa Mir and then scrambled around looking for a new backup striker close to the deadline. So I don't understand that either. They've left themselves really short at centre-back. The centre-backs just aren't good enough. None of them are good in a two-bar Kilman, who's not quite a Premier League calibre player. And... In a three, I still don't think they're good enough. Sice is a midfielder. Bolly, for me, is too inconsistent, too error-prone. And Connor Cody's just a fancy championship player who can ping a long pass. I think they've left themselves short at centre-back. And I'm not overly sure there's enough goals in the team. Um, I think holding out for £50 million for Dama Traore was slightly ridiculous as well. Though I do understand it, given the injury to Neto. I can mm. understand why you wouldn't just sell him for the 30, 30 million because 30 million is fair value for him because you have to factor in it's not about the talent it's about the production he doesn't produce enough but you know he's out of contract in two years as well so you, you're running a risk here um i i give this a c minus because i just i just think they've left themselves so short center back and in terms of a finisher look how many shots they've had in the first three games absolutely battered down the goals in all three games and couldn't score. So for me, it's a little bit disappointing. It's a C minus. Yeah, I've given them a B. I have a bit more of an optimistic view, although on many of the same themes that you were already talking about. Uh, they they have gambled on the fact that either Raul Jimenez will get back to his best or Fabio Silva will have developed from the minutes that he got last year. Those are pretty big gambles. But you keep Ruben Neves, who looked like he was going to be on his way out. You keep Adama Traore, who looks, hmm, how to say, because he hasn't actually contributed to a goal. He looks more threatening this year than last. It hmm. seems like he is causing more issues for defenses further up the pitch right now than he did last year. Part of that is that people were flirting with him as a wingback, which yes. isn't ideal. But I think the reason why it would have been a good signing for Tottenham the good way it would have been good for Tottenham is that he causes chaos that then other elite players could easily feed off of. So that's why I'm like, if if Jimenez is the player he was two years ago or three years ago, that might be enough for them where, you know, maybe Adama has three goals and five assists. Embarrassing for the amount of times he gets into positions where he could do way more, but still functional. If Jimenez gets his 15 goals, if when you get Neto back, he contributes in his way, you still have Matinho and Neves there <laughs> trying to score from 30 yards out. Um, it's it's decent. It is it is perfectly fine. And holding on to those two key players in Neves and Adamatrari is huge because both of them were still being flogged on deadline day. Yeah. Like, like you could have been in a really bad position if both of them go. So, yes, they've left themselves short, but they could have been way, way worse off. So maybe I'm I'm viewing it a little too positively, but I'm going with a B. Yeah, I just I'm worried about Jimenez and will he get back to that level? 
They clearly his movement was better in. last match. The first two were really yeah, for well. sure. Yeah, he, but he, he, in the first two games, he also looked a bit hesitant as well. Last time mm. out, more aggressive. Um, I think they've, they they wanted to bring in clearly someone with a bit more of a dynamic ball winning presence in midfield. They tried for Renato Sanchez on loan, tried for Bubakar Kamara on loan, couldn't get either of them deals done. Oh, Kamara I think was a permanent deal, but couldn't get them done. So I think they're one short in midfield, even though I do love Neves and I like Den Donker and I like Matinho. I just think they're they're a little bit of dynamism short in midfield. I think they're a little bit slow paced in the middle of the park. And if they'd gotten that midfielder, they could have moved Den Donker to centre back where he's probably more suited at this point mm. and just bought one centre back to go with him. You go eight nearly one side, Semedo or Kiana Hoiver the other side. That's fine. The goalkeeper's a big downgrade though. The short centre back, I think there's one short in midfield. I'm hopeful that Jimenez gets back to what he was. I do think they've got a good manager. I do quite like the look of what I'm seeing from Bruno Lag. And he did really well at Benfica in the first season he was there. We'll see more from Adama. I think Trinkia is going to be really good. Neto, when he gets back, will be a slow, slow recovery, I think. But you know, I think they'll be fun going forward. I just think they're going to struggle to see things out. And at the minute, they're struggling to score goals as well, which isn't ideal. So that that's why I've gone. I, I, I'll go with a C rather than a C minor. I think I'll just go with a flat C. But all things considered, I think they've just left themselves a bit short. And they could be in a spot mm. of trouble if Jimenez doesn't find those goals. Yeah, they, they'll, they'll just be bright and light. <laughs> yes, exactly. Their XG has been amazing. They've been playing really, really well. They just yeah. didn't score. Well, they deserve to beat United comfortably. And in the end, they got robbed. And you they should have they deserve to beat us. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, yeah, I, I, I look. I ho- I'm hopeful they stay up. I, I am hopeful they stay up. Uh, that is it then. That is second half of this podcast done. Again, if you haven't heard the first, do go and check it out on the EPL Roundtable feed. Just search EPL Roundtable on any podcast provider, or go on the. Uh, I'll go on Twitter. Go on the uh, EPL Roundtable Twitter or the EPL Index Twitter, and you'll find it in the tweets. Uh, and do give that a listen to. That one covers Arsenal through Leicester. We've just done Liverpool through Wolves. Kev, tell people where they can find you. Yeah, as you said, if you want to hear the first part of that show or the show that I regularly host, you can find it over at EPL Roundtable. I personally am on Twitter at Kevroff. Been trying to get that Kevin DeVries tag for a really long time. Um, but uh, the guy hasn't used it in two years and hasn't been vacated yet. So that's a bit annoying. But yeah, I care about at EPL Roundtable and uh, just absolutely a delight to do these shows with you, Dave. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I always love doing these. These are actually my favorite podcast to do is when we do these and they tend to go quite long, but they're well worth doing, I think. Um, and uh, that's it. That is the show. I'll see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye bye. Podcast Network.